back, ladies and gentlemen. We are still stuck in quarantine. We are continuing our social distancing. Thankfully, I don't have to see Rian for quite a while. Um, but we're still continuing on with the podcast. We still have a lot of things we want to talk about, a lot of games that have happened in the past that we're kind of reliving. And we were talking about, you know, games to discuss while we're sitting here in quarantine. And um, Rian said to me, you know, I picked the last one that we got to, to talk about with Peter. So uh, why don't you pick the next one, which was objectively a mistake. And, um, so I decided that we should talk about the very infamous Champions League semifinal between Barcelona and Chelsea in 2009 at Stamford Bridge. So that's a game I mean, we're going to be talking about. I thought about. we were talking about the other, uh, the other Champions League event featuring Barcelona. I think it was Liverpool in that game. I can't remember. It, we're, we're like 30 <laughs> seconds in, and I haven't introduced you. Relax. Wait, I have all my notes on the 2019 Champions League semifinal, dude. What the fuck? <laughs> are we are we calling an audible 15 seconds in? No, we are most certainly not. I I refuse to relive that game. Uh, actually, the only the only game I will relive out of last year's Champions League is the home leg against Liverpool. But that's a completely different story. So we're going to be talking about Barcelona and Chelsea, and uh, that's going to be hell for you guys. And of course. As you kind of already know, we're joined by our friend Noah Levine. Noah, how are you doing? Well, after watching the second leg, I'm feeling some sympathy for the National Association of Ref Murderers. So, ready to go. Who was who was that player in Colombia that was that was gunned Escobar. down? Who was it? Andres Escobar, the guy who scored an own goal in the World Cup and then Pablo yeah. Escobar killed him. Against the U.S., baby! Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Taking down drug oh, yeah. lords left and right. No. Uh, anything Ameri- if there's anything America knows how to do, it's get Latin Americans killed. Oh, my God. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, getting Escobars killed, really. Killed both of them, bro. What do you mean? That's a win for the U.S. <laughs> So are we going to talk about the Champions League, or you want to you want to talk about the national team? Because we can also talk about the Trinidad and Tobago team. That was my other. No, no, okay, <laughs> no, no, we're good, we're good. I mean, I don't even know which. which oh, yes, you clearly team. have some sort. Of, you have some sort of big affinity for the Trinidad and Tobago. What's their team? No, no I I was very disappointed that night. Na- that night, but uh, a night that I was not disappointed was May. Was it May fifth, two thousand nine? I think it was May fifth. I want to say. Or no, it was May 6th. I lied. But uh, yeah, we're of course joined by Noah and, and Rian, and here we are talking about this game. So Rian, I'm going to hand it over to you because I'll, I'll give you first thoughts. Let's, um, let's talk a little bit about where, where Chelsea are, and then Noah, I'd love to hear you know, kind of your thoughts on the game as we go through it. But Rian, what, how were Chelsea doing this season? I know they're obviously coming back they're off the back of a, a Champions League win the prior season. So leading up to this game... Wow. Oh, unfortunately, it wasn't a win, but uh, no. So, uh, yeah, 2008, of course, in 2008. Are you trying to make me like sad? Dude? 2008 is when, okay, whatever, I'll get to it. No, so Chelsea, so Chelsea was coming in, coming to the season in general, 2008, 2009. Chelsea, as Ellie's just, I don't even know if he got it wrong on purpose or not, but. They came off the back of a Champions League final loss to Manchester United. Um, I genuinely thought they won for a second. I, I got my ears mixed up. <laughs> yikes. Uh, well, yeah, coming off of that loss, obviously, uh, Chelsea come into the season 
with another new manager, which again, this was during that time when Chelsea was kind of running through managers just about every other, this actually was the beginning of that kind of trend, really. It was just the beginning of it. But at the end of 2007, 2008, which started with Jose Mourinho as a manager and ended with Avram Grant as manager, uh, he gets sacked at the end of the season for Luis Scolari, who, the man who led Brazil to, wait, was he the, at least, was he the Brazilian manager in 2002? Do you remember or not? Uh, he, he was, 2002? Or maybe it was 2006. It Which definitely was Brazilian manager in 2002. Wait, who was the manager? Scolari was the Brazilian manager in 2002. Yeah, so, oh, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, because I was like, I know, I'm pretty sure that he won a World Cup with Brazil, but. He did, yeah. Uh, coming off of that, Scolari starts the season as manager for Chelsea and is subsequently sacked not six months later, well, six months after the season started, and is replaced by Gus Hiddink in February 2009. And good to remember here, this is Gus Hiddink's, this was Gus Hiddink's first time as interim manager for Chelsea. He took over the second time, a second time in 2015 after the second Mourinho sacking. Seasoned veteran there, goose hitting. But I mean, also he was Dutch manager, Dutch uh, coach for a while too. So there's that. But Chelsea finished second in the in the Champions League group this season behind Roma. And under hitting, after he came in, Chelsea had 13 games in the Premier League. They had 11 wins, one draw, one loss. They ended up winning the FA Cup this season. And leading up to this game itself, they knocked out Juventus. And uh, Liverpool in the Liverpool in the round of eight, uh, Juventus in the round of sixteen. They get past those two to come up to this game, and yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get into the game itself. But just coming in on the on the lineups, at least or the background on the on the Chelsea lineup coming into this game, we have Peter Cech starting at keeper, who. Just this previous season had won the UEFA Goalkeeper of the Year, which uh, was his third time winning that award, and he's second all-time in that in that award. And at the back, you have Alex, Brazilian Alex. You have Ashley Cole at left back, John Terry at center back, and jo- uh, Jose Bossingwa, who's a newcomer from this season, at right back. In the midfield, they have Florent Maluda, Frank Lampard, who season before won UEFA's midfielder of the year uh, that was his first one and he was also Chelsea's player of the year for 2009 John Terry by the way was UEFA's defender of the year uh, in 2009 and in the season and in the 2008 or 2007 2008 season he's leader in that in winning that award for uh in the history of the award which is kind of weird because UEFA did these like midfielder, defender, forward, goalkeeper of the year thing from like '98 up until like 2009, and then didn't do it from 2010 to 2016. I'm blanking on what ended up actually replacing that award, but then they brought it back in 2016. So, besides the point, but um, John Terry made that won that award for a third time in 2009, and and also ended up making the FIFA Pro World Eleven for the season prior. The rest of the midfield had, uh, outside of Lampard and Maluda, they have Michael Ballack and Michael Essien. And 
then up top, Chelsea played playing a four four two at Nicholas Anelka and Didier Drogba, who this season and we'll get into it during this game, but he actually didn't have didn't have a classic Drogba season. Um, he was nowhere near the goal at the top of the charts for for even Chelsea's goal scorers for that year, as Nicholas Anelka actually ended up leading the team in goals with 25 in all competitions and also ended up winning the Premier League Golden Boot. So he actually just had, that was his best season with Chelsea in general. Uh, But Drogba himself, you know, only 42 appearances that season, you know, compared to Lampard who had 57, Anelka at 54, Terry 51, but 42 appearances from Drogba and only 14 goals in the entire season. And, Five of them coming in the Premier League, uh, five in five in Champions League, and the others in in cup comp in uh, domestic cup competitions. But I said that that's um, that's all I've got for the starting lineup there. I know Ellis is going to go into what actually happened in the legs leading up to this, but you know this this is an imperious team uh, from Chelsea's side. I mean, it's you look at where the team was at this time and to compare to now but, but like just <laughs> looking from those just looking from those um players that i i was talking about and just in terms of the individual individual awards right you know you ha- having three players in that like uefa basically a uefa team of the year kind of thing or or you know um just individual awards f- from uefa like three of those players in the same team and then also you end up having the premier league golden boot winner in the team at the same time is but this is this is like fully well into the era of Chelsea post putting their flag um up as like one of Europe's best clubs in general because that because you know they won two they won the Premier League two years in a row they're they're end up finishing third this season but they finished second the season before they they end up this is this is now to the era the Abramovich era where now all he cared about was winning Champions Leagues. And I think that's why you end up seeing a lot of the turnover in the managerial department over the next uh, th- basically three to four years until they finally win it um, in 2012. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's a different era for Chelsea, for sure. Um, and it, it's it's a pretty sad one. A pretty a pretty sad time because this, this is like almost comparable to the to where – I kind of look at like Manchester City at right now and the PSG right now where all that matters now is your is winning the you know the the holy grail is this Champions League but enough enough about the present back to the past and I'll throw it off to Elias to do the Barca part of this yeah, I mean this was this game specifically took place on on like I said May 6 2009 but the 2008-2009 season was, of course, Pep Guardiola's, at least from a Barcelona perspective, Pep Guardiola's um, first uh, season as a manager of Barcelona. He obviously came up through the, the B team, he was the manager, and then was promoted to first team manager. And one of the shocking things about, you know, what he did when he came into the team was he, from the start, said there were three kind of key players team that he stated publicly were just not part of his plans and that those three were Ronaldinho, Deco, and Samuel Eto'o. Three just 
like that's the equivalent of getting rid of like basically Suarez, uh, Dembele, and like Iniesta. Like the, I mean, I, I guess you can compare it to something. Oh, wait, like, which just, which one of those three guys did they let go? Did uh, no one miss and didn't even realize that he was on the team even when he was healthy? That's such a low blow. I'm not even gonna. Not even gonna entertain that. I, which one was the Dembele? I'm just sorry. Which one was he? Which, which one was the Dembele of that team? Uh, no one. <laughs> Straight up, no one. <laughs> if anything, uh, no. Actually, I was gonna say Etho, but like even then, still not really. <laughs> but you get my point, right? My point is that those were three like very important players, and that was the start of his Barcelona career, basically, and. His idea, of course, and now we know that as he's done in many other teams, is to bring up the youth. And so, you know, Gerard Piquet, who's on loan at United, came back. Um, Busquets was promoted. That was his first season with the first team. Pedro was also promoted that same year. So all those key players that we know and associate with the the Barcelona golden years were coming up at that exact time in, in Pep's first season. And throughout the season... He had a lot of lot of peaks, a lot of highs. It started off a little uncomfortably with you know his first league game he lost, um, his first Champions League game he actually won, and then the second one he lost. So it was a little turbulent at the beginning, but then the entire team went on a streak of I think basically twenty matches unbeaten um, in the league, and and they were at the top of the table. And fast forward, I guess towards May, the beginning of May. And the game before this Chelsea semifinal was what is now the famous 6-2 win at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid. And for context of where the league was at that point, Barcelona were on 85 points and Real Madrid were on 78 going into that game. So a Real Madrid win would have put them within four points of essentially first place. Um, Granted, there would only have been four or five games left. I think it would have been four games left in the season, um, still gave you a better chance of, you know, fighting for the league. But if they lost, well, then they lost, um, and it's pretty much out of reach. Um, so it was it was a pretty pretty massive game. Um, actually, it may have now that I think of it, it may have been seventy eight points and eighty two. Um, so even closer, right? It would have been eighty two and eighty one points. So if Real Madrid had won, so going to that game it was obviously very much a decider and Barcelona completely blew it out, blew Real Madrid out of the park. That was the, pretty much the introduction of, you know, Messi as a quote unquote false nine. And they looked like they were in a good position going into the second leg of the Champions League fa- semifinal against Chelsea. Granted the first leg ended zero zero and I'll get to that in a second. Um, but the rest of May was pretty great for them. Uh, they of course won the treble Um but they also they won the Copa del Rey and finished the league all within basically the span of like a week and a half. Um, so and beating Real Madrid, of course. So it was a pretty good end to the season. But I guess we'll focusing on the first leg of this Champions League tie. The first leg ended zero zero, um, as we all know. But we're here to talk about the second leg. The the couple of things I just I, I guess I want to highlight about the first leg that's important for the conversation around the second is the calls that were not necessarily made in the first leg. And a lot of those calls, 
and I'm not purposely trying to start a narrative here, but a lot of those calls were against Barcelona, right? This is the objective standpoint is there were basically three major calls for me that were not not made. First was an offside call on Eto. I believe it was later in the first half um, or beginning of the second in the first leg where he was clearly not on offside and that would have left him one-on-one with the keeper and the linesman flagged for offside. So, okay, that happens. That's fine. I mean, get past it. The second, which I think absolutely should have been a penalty, was when Thierry Henry was very obviously pulled down by Basingwa and it was clearly a penalty, but of course the decision wasn't, excuse me, the decision wasn't given. And the last decision, which I would think would have been very interesting for the second leg, is Michael Ballack not receiving a red card in that game. So he received his first yellow card in the first half around the 30th, 29th minute, and closer to the end of the game, he fouls Iniesta, and he fouls Iniesta close to the box. It wasn't in the box, but it was close to it. But what he did was he slapped him basically across the face as Iniesta got past him, and in some cases we've seen like elbow or arm-to-face contact given as a red card, but this was only given as a foul. And all of those three events happened in the first leg, which would have give, given Barcelona a very different advantage going into the second leg. All those were missed calls. So I know, I know we're going to talk about the second leg and how Chelsea fell hard done by. I get it. But that's what happened in the first leg, and I don't think those things should be underestimated so yeah but they're not indisputable i think the first to the offsides call and the uh foul on Henri are generally assumed to be fact and those i will happily agree with but the decision to give a yellow card or not especially a second yellow on that sort of contact is perfectly within the normal like you've seen them given you've seen them not given that's a judgment call that uh, is well within a referee's ability to give and not give. And if you've seen them given and not given, you can't say that it's as egregious as the three blatant and one fairly blatant uh, penalties that should be given the second leg. It's a false equivalency. Well, I don't, I don't and know. Fuck, <laughs> Elliot. <laughs> no, no, it's but, over. That's it. That's it. But, but no, no. I mean, I think I do agree. Uh, in in some sense, I agree, hundred percent. The Bosnia foul is a foul. Like uh, they, sh- that's a missed call. That's something that should have been a penalty. That obviously changes the game completely, right? Um, yeah, and it, and then you have the two other more subjective. No, I mean, offsides shouldn't be subjective. But at that time in the non-VAR era, like it's it's pretty subjective. <laughs> all, all every offside is completely different. But, right, right. But but on this at the same time though, even with the penalty that should have been called, Eto has probably the best chance of the game around like the sixty eighth minute after yeah. he gets through and and doesn't score. And Boyan misses an absolute sitter in the ninetieth minute oh my God, with a yeah. header. Right. So and 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 I think this will be a theme that this is somewhat of a narrative that I um, that I think carried over to the second leg where these miss miss call 100 percent. But the team that got the calls miss that the calls went against actually had chances that they should have just finished the game off with. Right. I 
I think we'll show up again in this second game for sure. But no, I, I do completely agree with you. As I think the first leg, Barca has some things to be upset about, but at the same time, and, and they'll feel like they probably should have won that leg in the same sense that I think a similar feeling is felt by Chelsea in the second leg. Right, yeah. that That's kind of like, I guess, the message to convey, right? Like, should have taken their chances. I completely agree with you. But at the end of the day, they have both themselves and the refereeing decisions to blame. Um, one, I don't think is greater than the other because I, I'm not here to sit here and talk about the first leg as if Barcelona did not win because of the referees, but the addition of those missed calls did not help the fact that they could have, you know, really put this game away in the first leg. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I guess we can, we can move on to the real creme de la creme, um, the second leg at Stanford Bridge on uh, on May 6th. What, Rian, tell me, who who started that game again? For Chelsea? For Chelsea, yeah. No, for Manchester United. What? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I thought we were, sorry, my bad. I thought we went to 2019 semifinal again. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Um, right, again, for those of you at home, in, in net was Peter Cech, center backs, John Terry and Alex. Left back, Ashley Cole. Right back, uh, Jose Bossingwa. In midfield, you have your wingers as Florent Maluda. And, well, Maluda is a winger, but everyone else is kind of center mid. So, kind of weird. But Maluda, and I suppose Anelka was also playing on the wing. In center mid, you had Lampard, Balak, Essien, and Drogba up top. Wonderful. And I guess for the Barcelona side as well, um, the starting lineup was Victor Valdez in goal, Danny Alves, Yaya Torre, Gerard Piquet, and Eric Abidal making up the back line. Busquets, Xavi, and Keita actually making up the midfield. And this was when kind of Iniesta was playing the left wing-ish position, um, or right wing, I forget. But um, Messi, Eto, and Iniesta made up the front line. So with that, this is going to be fun. Um Let's start off. Let's, let's start off the game at Stanford Bridge. First half thoughts. You know, what what happened? Just give me both of your thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I'm going to – I am I put notes for, like, certain minutes. So stop me when, when you guys have anything to, to jump in on because there's kind of a lot here. So, uh, you know, it starts off. And more or less, it starts off exactly how you thought the game would start. Barca has a lot of the ball. Um, and Chelsea are pretty comfortable to set up a really good, sh- a good shape and, and try to close off a lot of passing lanes for Barca. So it's a lot of Barca possession. Um, but I just, Chelsea, I just want to say one thing, like before we even get into the events, Chelsea did an amazing job defensively, this entire, like too late affair. Absolutely like, agree. That's, I was going to get it. Absolutely well agree. Yeah. But go ahead. Um, Absolutely, yeah, totally agree with that. So, ninth minute is the Essien rocket. And Michael Essien, a guy who's not scored very many goals, not scored very many goals in his career, but if you're a Chelsea fan, there's at least two that come to your mind whenever you think about him. It's this one, and it's that unreal hit against Arsenal. I think it's like in 2006. Where he hits it from 2006. Like, yeah, like 30 something yards out and hits it with his right foot. And you just see the swerve. It swerves out to in and it's 
oh god it's amazing amazing goal so the guy this time he hits it with his left foot and hits it and hits a volley bar down and and this comes from what Chelsea's game plan was at least going forward and and actually they kind of found a lot of success with it um which was playing it longer looking for Drogba to head it down to the wingers or the center mids, but most, most of the time, like wingers who are running off of him. Um, and that's what starts with this goal. That Drogba wins a header. Maluda ends up picking up the ball, passes it into Lampard. Um, Lampard's shot gets blocked and loops up and falls perfectly for Michael Essien. Uh, and, that's, and it's a wonderful, wonderful goal. It wasn't like it was a free volley either. It was a defender charging at him, ball probably past the defender's leg by a couple of inches at most. It wasn't just like he was sitting back there, had all the time in the world to set it up and do whatever he wanted with it, which is already hard enough for a natural striker, which Essien isn't. He had to contend with a spinning ball and a flock of defenders crashing at him and still probably with the Chelsea's goal of the year. And from there, that is the baseline for just about the the worst thing that Bar- I think Barcelona could have had happened to them in that game, especially with you know, like like Elliot said, with the shape that Chelsea was playing with. Um, so my I, I move on next to I've got here fifteenth minute, I, fifteen minutes in, not much incision from Barcelona. They have again a lot of the ball, and this and this is a theme for, I think for most of the game. A lot of the ball, um, Chelsea's doing a great job at, like I said, plugging the passing lane, especially in the middle. There, Throughout this game, you'll see Barca has a hard time playing through Chelsea's midfield lines because, uh, and this is just 15 minutes in again, but even at this point, I could kind of tell, and, and you guys let me know if you also noticed this too, but it seemed like, the definite strategy when at least Barcelona's center backs had the ball and and even there, um, even if Iniesta or Xavi, or actually Xavi went, when he dropped back or when Busquets dropped and had the ball, Chelsea played a lot of man-to-man midfield, or man-to-man uh, defending. It seemed like there was always either Balak or Lampard or Essien on one of those Barcelona midfielders when someone someone further back in the Barcelona had the ball. So I, I don't know if you guys also noticed that too, or or maybe I'm completely off. No, no, I think you're right. I think there was very, very evident like strategy to man mark the three-man midfield, which quite honestly worked really, really well because I think what the back line did to help them was keep basically the wingers, the Barcelona wingers, and... Um, kind of the front three can more compact. So if you if you don't allow the the wide players of a front three to get wide, right, then you're you're basically just allowing them to sit in front of you, and you can step to the ball and make a tackle, right? Like it's easier to take a ball off of a, a an attacker that's within five feet of you versus like fifteen twenty feet away from you to your left or right. So by man marking, you pretty much gave them one outlet, and that was to one of the front three and one of those front three were almost always marked. So if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I think, and I think 
an interesting thing about this too is that I think at least contrary to the kind of future um, meetings between Chelsea and, and Barcelona in Champions League, I never at any point thought that or felt like this was a, a parking of the bus from Chelsea because from Chelsea because their line is actually is not deep and uh, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say it was high but the midfielders themselves were not deep and like I said with the man to man defending they're actually pushed up more so I, I thought the I I I also end up noting this in the twenty second minute. Just run right out. Defensive setup is fantastic from Chelsea. Um, also in that 22nd minute, a Drogba chance. Uh, he's in the box. He has a couple during this game, and I'll get to the next, to, to at least another one. But uh, I think before the SCN goal, there's a play where John Terry has pushed up into the midfield and ends up winning the ball from it's either Iniesta or maybe Messi, one of the two. Um, ends up winning the ball from them and plays and plays the ball to Dragma, who is running and would have been totally in on goal, but messes up his first touch. And that kind of becomes a theme in this game. Not messing up his first touch, but Dragba clear chances that we look back now and we say, oh, you expect him to finish it all the time. But like I said, in the, in the background uh, portion that he was not having a great season for Chelsea. And, and that may have something to do with this confidence at this time. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a good point. I think, and we'll definitely get to this too. One of the other things that came into play was his image as, I don't want to call it a diver, right. But someone that goes down relatively easily, I think definitely had like a psychological impact on this game in some, in some way I, you can talk about it any which way you want, but there were many times where he certainly, in my opinion, went down easier than he could have stayed up. Um, but right after that chance, right in the tw- I think it was the twenty third minute, was the the first kind of potential shout of, for any sort of penalty, right? The the Danny Alves foul on Maluda, right? So, what did you think of this? I, I want to hear your thoughts. I'll let I'll, I'll let Noah get onto this first. I'll I'll come afterwards, but we're just gonna pass it around. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I think this one is the one with the most referee discretion. The foul definitely started outside the box. There were probably three different points at which the foul could have been given. The most egregious of those was when Alves came across Maluda in the box um, and essentially cut him off and threw him to the ground. Um, so I think that. The fact that, A, the foul continued into the box, B, the most egregious part of the foul was in the box, and C, Alves has been doing this all game, and it's not like this was the first time that Alves had been nipping at Maluda's ankles. I think all of those put together turned this into a penalty. I think that of the four penalty shouts that Chelsea had, I think this is the most nebulous um but because like the the foul was in the box it was given as a foul outside the box and i think drug actually uh surprised most people uh, after the foul by taking a shot and ultimately getting a corner out of it 
But I think because the heart of the foul was in the box, then that's what a penalty is. Yeah, I, I think much of the same from me. I, I This one, 50-50, I thought 50-50 in terms of the, the penalty, like Noah said, it, it definitely starts outside the box, 100%. But, you know, it, it, it continues in the box. And um, I think you can even see kind of the moment when Maluda tries to get across Alves and Alves kind of like tug like you know whatever tugs on his shirt pulls him what whatever and then ends up getting the foul called on him you there's like actually a mark on the line of the 18 that that is at the exact moment that he's that the much harder foul that I think happens, <laughs> but uh, so so if you wanted to just even look at that and be like oh well maybe that Maybe that would could have helped the referee figure out <laughs> that you know, um, but but yeah, I think this one's a fifty fifty for me. I'm you know obviously in comparison to the others, it's it's not as bad. Um, but yeah, th- yeah, fifty fifty. So we move on. But I I think another note that I had like around that same time is that the physicality and athleticism from Chelsea was kind of suffocating Barcelona at this point. I don't know about suffocate, but making things made things very, very difficult for Barcelona. I, um, I don't know if you thought maybe the same, Elias, or, or no. Like, I thought the physicality throughout the game, and I guess pretty much up until the very, very end when people are just tired, it's a little harder to clear the ball. But but um, it, I thought the, uh, the physicality and athleticism from Chelsea was also totally on display and, and was causing a lot of problems for, for this Barcelona team. Yeah, I mean, no. What do you think of that? Because I, I think it certainly like posed a, a big problem. I think that's one of the major reasons why it stayed one nil for a very, very long time. Um, but no, you know this Chelsea side more than me. Yeah, no, I think uh, Ryan's spot on here. I think with players like Essien in the side, it's hard not to be this like physically imposing sort of spark plug team that's A, all over the place while maintaining its shape, but B, you're not going to be able to run through that side either. Uh, like SN had uh, a great game um, outside of his goal. Obviously, the goal is spectacular, but uh, him is just an anchor um, protecting the back four and making sure that um, if anybody did try to get past that they'd feel it and wouldn't be able to, they'd have to think about it uh, going in you know, all the Sunday league commentators and make them know you're there. Essien um, <laughs> certainly did that uh, throughout the game. Uh, and I don't, I suspect that uh, there's a lot of ice baths in the Barcelona locker room afterwards as a result. Um, but yeah. I fully agree that it was a really physically impressive performance. For sure. Yeah. They, they stood up to to the competition absolutely even for being a team that <clears throat> maybe in terms of like talent on the field wasn't up to that level but they matched the intensity for pretty much the whole game in my opinion so i agree the one thing i guess i would say about this specific foul and i don't want to spend too much time on it was i don't understand why kind of know what you're saying why the ref awarded a foul but no penalty like clearly the foul continued into the box and the worst of the fouls were committed in the box. Um, 
but maybe I guess what he was thinking was the foul started outside and that's where the initial contact happened. So I have to go back to it. I don't know exactly what the refereeing rules on it are on it, but I've read other referees and, and their opinion on this. And apparently the right decision was to be made to not point to the spot and call it a free kick for the initial foul, um, which seems a little weird from, I guess, our perspective, but apparently that's the correct refereeing decision. But in the same vein, I think this is the least contentious of the the shouts for penalties. Right. And it was also associated with there were also the fewest shouts. Yeah. In terms, I think you mean in terms of Chelsea players and the player himself, you know, okay. Yelling the referee about, about a penalty at least. Yeah. But we would, we would get there very soon, actually in the 28th minute, (laughs) in the 28th minute. Um, I mean, Stonewall penalty. Uh, This is, this is the Drogba chance. Uh, Am I correct? Elias, is this a Drogba chance against, against Abidal? The one where, this is where Abidal did not get called and did not get a, a card right. for it, correct? Yes. Right. Stonewall pen, Stonewall penalty. Um, again, you know, maybe, maybe at least, hmm. maybe you're right in terms of Drogba's perhaps reputation getting in the middle of this, but I think this one, Stonewall, you can see in the replays, you can see the, the contact that's made. Well, one, there's a pulling of the jersey, which it's. I think I'm always kind of sympathetic to that, and I'm sure maybe LSU might be a little bit too, just because like we played, we were like defenders <laughs> when we played, yeah. when we played uh, soccer. But like, but at least from what, the link that I was watching, I thought there was also obvious contact with the legs too, as Drogba as Drogba just barely gets past um, the shirt tug and and is tripped and falls over and. And the, the commentators, I, I was watching the Sky Sports, the Sky Sports link, or well, I guess the Sky Sports broadcast of it, and the commentators themselves, you know, they they were kind of calling for a red card. But I, I don't think it would. I don't think it was ever. I don't think it was a red, just because I think that Abidal is going for the ball there, and that's an important thing to bring into is that only up until a couple years ago, the kind of I forget what they what they call it a double. I think they called it like double jeopardy kind of thing, where it used to be customary to just to give a red to the defender if he fouls um, an attacker who's like one on one with the keeper or something like that, right? But yeah, within the last couple of years, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, within the last couple of years, it's, there's been some nuance kind of introduced to that in terms of the defender is genuinely making a play for the ball that they do not, they, they usually don't give reds anymore. They try not to give reds if they, if they think the defender was actually going for the ball. So this ultimately I think is a pen and I think not a red because he's going for the ball. Uh, maybe it would have been called a red at that time in, in the history of, of the referee. That's an but... important point. You can't retroactively apply today's standards to yesterday's game. They're playing by a certain set of rules and norms and standards and if those are the rules and norms and standards, then they ought to be applied equally and fairly throughout all competitions. And if that's what they do, if, they, if it's a foul preventing a clear goal-scoring opportunity in the box, then if 
red cards are given that season for that, then I don't think anybody disagrees that that was a foul in the box denying a clear goal-scoring opportunity. So based on the letter of the law that season, I don't know how you could not give a red card. So here's my take on it. I agree with that sentiment 100%, Noah, that if that was a clear goal-scoring opportunity and that player was fouled by an opposing player in your last man, I do think that should have been a red card. Plot twist with that is I don't think it was actually a foul because Abidal 100% pulled Drogba's shirt. I he grabbed it. I'm not going to deny that that much is which is which is normally a foul. Just just wait (laughs) a second. That much is clear. I want to state that for the record. Whether he tripped him, I think, is a little less certain because I don't think that was clear, especially in real time. Um, Maybe with VAR, it would have been different, but I didn't see it as that maybe Rihanna and Noah I guess you you both kind of did I that part is not clear to me but what's clear to me on every replay and every angle is that Drogba was not going down until he realized that Valdez was going to beat him to the ball so if he's choosing to go down at the point after his shirt was pulled then he is going down on his own accord moreover Abidal pulled his shirt he did not push him and Drogba was was diving forward and fell forward. Contrary to the very first leg, right? If you go back to when Thierry Henry was pulled down, right? Pulled down by Basingua, he was actually falling backwards because his jersey was pulled backwards. So I don't understand why Drogba fell forward when his jersey was tugged backwards. Because so to me, tripped. this was... Because he was tripped. That's what, that's what I was saying. There's a contact there in the leg. There of this foul. Right. I don't think... <laughs> that pulled their legs into contact with each other. Drug was still trying to run forward despite him being pulled backwards, with his, which is, as Rian said, a foul in and of itself. And as a result of him trying to run forwards, he fell forwards when he was tripped, which is also another foul. So based on, you know, Drogba running forwards and then falling forwards after he was tripped, I don't think that whole line of argument makes much sense. See, to me, the trip isn't as obvious as I guess it is to you guys. I I don't necessarily agree that he was tripped by Abidal. It may have been that they're... He may or may not have been tripped. Their legs may have came together. But regardless of whether he was tripped or their legs came together, two things are true. First, the shirt tug is a foul. And second, you can fall over after a leg tangle or a trip and fall forward and have that be not a dive. I agree with you that the shirt tug is a, is a foul, right? So in that sense, if it was given as a penalty, I after that and and that was it, like uh, fine, that that's a foul in the box. But the fact that I think he dove forward after he realized that Valdez was going to get the ball and not him, that's that, that's I, where I'm also off too because the only reason that it might I honestly I don't even think that Valdez was going to get there before him without the trip. But but if there is any ambiguity to whether Drago was going to be able to make it to the ball first, it's only presented because of the tugging of the shirt. So, you know, look, we, we don't have to get too bogged down on this one. We have two more obvious penalties that should have been called that we'll get to. So we can move on from here. Um into the 30th minute, I just wrote down that, you know, not, like I said from before, not remotely parking the bus from Chelsea. And, and it was obvious by that point that I thought that they were playing man-to-man defending. But at the same time, still no re- 
real uh, incision from Barcelona. And up until this point, the only real chances are coming from Chelsea. And that takes us pretty much to the end of the first half, you know, the next 15 minutes from 30th minute to the 45th minute. I, I didn't have much else other than I, I thought that even with even with the game seeming like Barcelona were controlling it just because they had the ball a lot, obviously, but I didn't think that there was anything that they deserved in terms of having a lead in that game. Uh, I think Chelsea were deservedly leading, if anything, because the goal itself is amazing and then they defended well. But um, actually, one more th- one thing I had from, from the uh, first half was I thought Yaya Torre actually had a pretty solid, pretty, not, not just solid, I thought he was actually pretty fantastic in the first half for, for Barcelona. And it made me remember that he wasn't always this, um, the goal-scoring midfielder that we saw at Manchester City after he left, after he left Barcelona, right? Um, he can, he actually played a lot of defensive midfield under, under Guardiola, and in this game, he was actually playing center back, like Elliot said before. Uh, I thought he was great during at least the first half. I thought he was great for most of this game for Barcelona. And it just makes me wonder, like, he would have been perfect, a perfect modern center back. I guess he was a perfect modern center back in some senses, but... Um, it was even known, yeah. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see it, if he played center back his entire, his entire career because, granted, he shouldn't have because... He, he ended up scoring 20 goals in one season in, in England um, with Manchester City not not like five years after this. So it, he shouldn't have been a centre-back, but it would have been interesting. But I think he would have been like, honestly, a revolutionary kind of centre-back just because of his passing range, his shooting, and his physicality that he could have, if, if he just played centre-back for the rest of his career, I, I think would have been... Uh, just a very transcendent type of center back. Oh, for sure. I think he would have been an amazing center back, especially as you, I mean, he wasn't really starting to age at that point. Like, I think he was kind of in his prime then, but yeah, by the time like 2014, 15 comes around, like he could be bossing it as a, a center back at like 31 like, for sure. Uh, or however he, however old he was, but I do think he had a great game and there were a lot of tackles that I think he made like controversy aside where they were actually just genuinely good tackles. Like that that's just a, an objective opinion. Like outside the box, whatever. I think he was just a strong presence in the midfield area, we'll call it. Oh yes, I'd just like to point out that you just said objective opinion. So Well, it's objective because Rian and I both kind of agree on that. So <laughs> I think he had a great game too, but objective and opinion. Carry on. <laughs> All right, Rian, you want to move to the second half? Yeah, second half. Second half, uh, so we start off, first note here, 52nd minute. Drogba has to score. Uh, he, he gets in behind. Um, I forget who plays him the ball, but he gets in behind. He cuts it back off of, uh, I think maybe, I think it was Alves that may have dived, that, uh, slide, tried to slide That's tackle. Someone on the floor. Yeah, the cuts it back was. and is... One on one with the keeper. This is this is the best chance of the game for either team, and this is at least as good a chance as the Eto chance in the first leg, right? And and 
Drogba cuts it onto his left foot and hits it basically right at the keeper. Does not it's with again, it's his left foot, so it's weak foot, but he gets no elevation on the ball. He gets no real direction on the shot, um, other than pretty much at the keeper's legs. And and he just he has to score. It, it, that's that's now at this point three chances that I jotted down that I thought were were genuinely good chances for him to score. And he puts this away. It's 2-0. Because up until this point, and uh, this was a note that I actually had at the end of the first half, is that a lot of toothless possession from Barcelona. Like, they have the ball a lot. They're trying to get through. It's being made very tough for them. They're not actually getting touches in the box, getting passes in the box. They're having to cross a lot. Up until this uh, Drogba chance, it does not look like this Barcelona team's going to score two goals. <laughs> it just and and we see at the end they don't score two goals, but it doesn't look like <laughs> they play themselves, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like it, it doesn't look like it doesn't look like Barcelona are going to be able to score two goals in this game. So he puts this away, and the game is is just done. It's it's over, and that and that's kind of like the theme that I thought carried over from the first leg. But I mean, flipped really in in the second leg. Um, that's a good point, actually. Chances, chances for Chelsea to finish, the, to just completely finish the game, and they don't. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think about that. The, the narrative kind of flipped and had, I would say, three really good chances. The John Terry header, I think, in the first half. Uh, that Drogba chance, and there's another one I'm forgetting, uh, but it might come to me. Yeah, those like three chances would have been all just amazing opportunities to put the game away after the Essen, Essien, excuse me, um, opportunity. But lo and behold, you got to take the chances that you get. I, I learned that lesson when Dembele didn't. Well, anyway, that's another story. Um, <laughs> yeah, Rian, what what was the next controversy that that uh, you want to talk about? Uh, yes. Uh, next next note. Fifty sixth minute. Um, I mean. I, <laughs> I didn't didn't really didn't really understand what was going on there. Um, so Yaya is holding Drogba's holds Didier Drogba's arm um, on a foul, and I, I, I all I wrote here was uh, LMAO. Did the ref play advantage? <laughs> I, I didn't really didn't know which which one was this. When Yaya Tori had the tackle from behind, yes, like close to the bot. Okay. To be fair, like this was a clean tackle from behind, and the ball was clearly won. It was the, the actual getting of the ball was was a. Uh, I thought he got the ball for sure, but but the foul was called. I I thought that he was calling a foul for like the tugging at first because he he absolutely holds Drogba's arm and, and is holding Drogba's arm um, as Drogba gets past him and then gets up to him and and gets the ball away, but um. But yeah, I, I didn't. I couldn't really tell on that one. I don't think that. I don't think that that one wasn't a penalty, not a penalty incident. But that was just some. No, but it was. It was an incident. I, I. I get it. I wrote it down too. I think it was like a fine decision. It was a clean tackle. Um, if anything, Drogba should have gone to yellow for his reaction. That's just me stirring the pot. Um, yeah, I think. I think that was one of the correct decisions. I think most people could agree on. Um, but no, I don't know if you have a differing opinion on that. No, that was fine. I'll save my commentary for what's to come. 
<laughs> so that takes that takes me to my next my uh, next notes here. Fifty eighth minute. Um, a couple things on the Barcelona, or three things actually on the Barcelona end. First one, uh, at least up until this point, and I think for this entire game, was awful. Um, I I. I thought he gave. I thought he gave Barcelona almost nothing. I, I thought he got played around a lot, and I, I thought he was genuinely one of the poorest players on the field for this for this particular game. But the next one was that Messi should have gotten the ball a lot more, in my opinion. <laughs> slash, like any, like slash, one for two for one reason actually. Um, well, maybe two because obviously he's the best player on the on the pitch. But the second one. He was pretty much the only player on the field capable of dribbling past any of the Chelsea defenders or midfielders, not just passing around them, but actually dribbling past them. And I said before, it's a very physical midfield from Chelsea, right? But Frank Lampard, Michael Ballack, um, and Michael Essien, not three guys that are quite pace merchants right um if Messi Messi was already basically playing kind of wherever he wants at this point right even this early into his time with um with Guardiola he's he's shifting around the field a lot and so the times when he's when he did pick up the ball in the midfield at this point I'm like he should just actually try to to dribble past these guys because they're just set they're set up Chelsea was set up exactly how one how they knew that Barcelona was going to play, but also in the sense that they knew that Barcelona were not going to be dynamic in terms of their game plan, right? Because they're going to pass a lot. They're going to look for the short passes, look for triangles, look for um, to exploit just breaking the lines and stuff. But once that wasn't there anymore, they didn't really change. And I thought Messi should have gotten the ball a lot more. And I thought that overarching thing was that. Barcelona was desperately missing Henri, who I believe was injured for this game. They were desperately missing him, slash anyone who can stretch, who can stretch the Chelsea back line. No, you hit the nail on the head, right? Like, yes, Messi should have gotten the ball more, but I think the Henri injury in the game before against Real Madrid so key because that's exactly what he did so well. He stretches the field wider, and because they couldn't do that, you basically played into Chelsea's hand. Like, you allowed them to to sit a little bit higher in a mid-block, and you had very little space between the midfield and the attack, and you just crowded that space, and you took the ball off Barcelona players almost every time. Like, it, it, it was not that simple, but it was pretty much that straightforward. So, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. It was um, not a great game plan, and Keita is, was the definition of poopy. That takes me to next notes here. 64th minute, all I wrote, zero shots on target for Barcelona until this point. And uh, that would continue again until the 90th minute, but, uh, or 92nd minute. But um, 60, 65th minute is our red card for, for um, Abidal. And I wrote here, in caps, I wrote, not a, a red. Maybe 50-50, whether it's a foul, honestly, but not a red, not a red, dot, 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 but the first half should have been a penalty, so... Oh, my God. 
Okay, two wrongs don't make a right, first off. Um, Noah, what did you think of this red card? Should have been a second yellow. Oh, that's it. That's interesting. Because you said earlier that if it's a clear and obvious foul with the last man being back, it should be a red card, right? Yeah, well, he would have been gone anyways, but you're not going to give him a red card and give him a yellow card for the first one. Then this is the through on goal. Okay. That's an interesting take. I never, I've never actually heard the, the two yellow argument. Um, I'm going to have to say. He should have been off. Like, if we're playing by the same rules. Right. Then he should have been off already. And if we're playing by slightly different rules, then he should be off there for a second yellow. Because I do think it's a yellow because you're impeding a clear opportunity, whether or not it's goal scoring or not, that's up in the air, but impeding an opportunity and fairly cynically. So, um, but regardless, I think the outcome should have been if we're playing by any variety of 2008, 2009 rules, then he should have been off either in the at that point or earlier in the first half. So, so, so I want to, so I want to say this, the reason why I said 50, 50 on whether it should have even been a foul, right? Um, To explain this actual incident, it's, I believe Florent Maluda gets behind uh, Abidal and Abidal who's playing left back is, is chasing after him and tries to pull him back a little bit, right? Um, You know, a little little slight shirt tug, whatever. And then it's very hard to tell what happens with the legs on this one because Definitely, definitely Maluda ends up hitting his own legs with, like, he definitely ends up hitting, like, his left leg into his right. Um, it's whether he, his legs were touched before that to cause him to trip himself. But, yeah, this one, I, like I said, not a red, maybe not a foul, but... <laughs> This was this was not even a foul for me. I yeah, I'm sorry, but like this was the wrong decision to give a red. Like I can almost understand the argument earlier from Abidal having his jersey pulled and being the last. I can understand it while I don't necessarily agree, but there was barely any contact with this. Like it's very clear if you look down the pitch, right from goal to goal, there's a lot of space between their legs, their body, whatever. Maybe he was brushed with the slightest touch, but I don't think he was around the legs. But I guess he was sent off as the last man. And quite honestly, the, I think the replay showed that Anelka tripped over his own feet. So Barcelona had reason to feel cheated at this point. Chelsea had reason to feel cheated at this point, too. Um, and at that point, they're looking at having to score a goal down 10 men. And even if you get to the final, you're without Abidal. So, yeah, wrong, just wrong decisions completely, like all around. So what's what, what's our rule of thumb on shirt tugs here? Are they are ruling that fair game now? Uh, well, I mean, I, mean, I understand the, the law, sympathetic letter of the law. Yeah, letter of the law. Shirt tugs should be should be a foul. Um, shirt tugs. I think there should be someone going past you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was not a shirt yeah. tug, though. I, that I, I, was yeah, not, I'm not. Yeah. yeah, this one. This I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to say this. This particular. <laughs> this is. This is um, really. At be- I think this is fifty-fifty at best. Honestly, um, I. I don't think. I don't think it should be sent off. I don't think it. I don't think it's enough. Definitely not enough for a red. And. I agree. 
probably not enough for a foul. So I suspect the the red was given because the ref thought that Melka didn't just trip over his or, or Maluda didn't just trip over his own legs. Right, right, right. I I, I think I think he pro- I think he probably thought that too. But anyway, so we we move on to the 80th minute now, um, and this is, this now is where the fun begins. Minutes. This is now 15 minutes of having a man advantage, and my notes here multiple possessions wasted by Chelsea when they could hold the ball. And this is where, in a similar sense that there was no plan, there was, all, there was actually no plan B to Guardiola's um, setup. There was no plan B, or not even plan, I mean, what should have actually ended up being plan A once you have a man advantage is actually trying to play the ball in the midfield a little bit. And, and I understand that, um, Abidal was left back, so they didn't, Barca doesn't actually end up losing someone in the midfield, but the, you're playing against 10 men. It had to be less route one playing. It just had to be less of the long balls, and they didn't change, and, and ultimately they end up suffering for it because they, they just they don't take control of the game. And, and just a side note, like watching this, watching that particular um, – Phase of the game once it was once it was ten v eleven, it just brought back horrible horrible memories of uh, the twenty sixteen round of sixteen second leg between Chelsea and, and PSG, where Ibrahimovic gets sent off very early in that game. Oh and yeah, Chelsea never and at no point for the next I think it was like sixty minutes or something. At no point does Mourinho change the change the tactics of the team to actually hold on to the ball, and they spend the rest of that game for the most part. Just not, not necessarily sitting back, but but not taking control of that game as much as they nearly should have. And the same thing happens here that happened in that 2016 game with PSG, um, where they got punished for it. And and I mean, yeah, that that's that's eighth minute. I'll I'll stop there before we get to the third penalty incident. But I, I did want to harp on that um, particular thing that I thought Chelsea should have take should have taken control of the game at. at and be eleven. I understand that. I understand how good the Barca team is. I understand um, how good they are at just controlling possession and stuff too, right? But I thought there were just a lot of possessions where Chelsea has it, in where their back line has it, or one of the midfielders gets has it, um, maybe deep in the half, and they just look to play straight in the air up to Drogba, who's who's more or less either by himself or waiting for wingers to run onto it, and you're, when you're when you have a man advantage, there's no reason to still be playing that way, a, a counterattacking way. Yeah, I'm okay. So I'm I don't want to spend too much time on it either. But I actually I'm gonna say I disagree because holding the ball or at least keeping the ball from this Barcelona team would have been very hard. Like I think I think you're slightly underestimating how difficult it would have been to circulate the ball um, around a midfield of that quality plus Messi, like, this was the peak of Barcelona press, right? This is when, like, the idea of pressing so heavily was introduced. And to do that uh, would have been tough. Like, maybe I mean, they could have done this, it. This, actually, this literally is not the peak because they have 10 men on the field. Like, this is, it's, not, it's not because I think that they – I'm not saying it's because I think that the Chelsea midfield is, like, better than them or, or, or even on the same level. It's just – this is a simple numbers game is that – now, oh, I see what you're like, saying. It's a simple numbers game. You know, you're, it's ten. It's eleven v ten. You, 
will always have an op- one more option than what's on the field. Right. Oh, okay. In that sense, yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of fair. I, kind of, I honestly forgot about the red card. But, um, yeah. Or at okay. least just pass saying. it around a little bit before kicking it up the field. Like, that doesn't have to be the first choice. It's perfectly fine for that to be the second choice. But take a, take 30 seconds before you do it. Yeah, very fair. Well, I guess we'll never know how that turned out. But um, yeah. what was the two what was the minutes later? Incident? Two minutes later, uh, I have here my God in in caps. Uh, this is worst of the night. The worst of the night. The worst of any of the four. I mean, the worst, worse than than the Henri incident in the in the first leg. Worse than any other incident that we saw in this game. The handball from PK, where um, I believe it's Anelka. Anelka is played through again. Chelsea are able to get behind the Barca back line, and Anelka's played through and just chips the ball to to get around um, PK. And what ends up happening is a handball is uh, almost as obvious, maybe just as obvious as Luis Suarez not one year later in South Africa against Ghana in the 2010 World Cup. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> other handball I can really I can really say it was more obvious than this one because this one your letter literally hits the hand. Literally hits his hand and and I, I and granted I don't think it's I actually don't think it's quite deliberate from I don't think that PK is actually trying to knock the ball down in the same sense that Suarez was just playing as an auxiliary goalkeeper <laughs> in the final minute of that game. But uh, but it hits him straight in the hand. And, and his hand is, like, two, at least, like, six inches above his head. So it's it's another one where it's like, that one, actually, I'm trying to figure out what the ref, how the ref couldn't have seen it. Um, or if he, I mean, I, I'm praying that he didn't see it because there's no excuse then. Yeah, Noah, this you said you were going to reserve your comments for later, so I'm assuming your comments are, are for now. Uh, so in a 2018, 2018, 2019 interview with Sky Sports, so the ref is a Norwegian ref, referee named Tom Henning of Bredo, of Rebdo, of Rebo, whatever. Oh, I think, yeah. Uh, but here's what he said about the whole game. It was not my best day, really. Some days you are not at the level you should be. I can't be proud of that performance. There were several several errors, and everyone will have their opinion of those plays. So that's the referee, the guy who actually called it. And he sounds pretty disappointed. So let's zoom back a little bit and see how I feel about that as someone who's (laughs) admittedly a little bit partisan but watching the game from a fan's perspective another time years later, now that we do have VAR with all its flaws uh, and whatever, uh, but the fact that this wasn't given as a penalty, the fact that this didn't result in some sort of universal IRS investigation into the referee's finances, the fact that immediately <laughs> following the game, the referee wasn't Like, there were bribery charges immediately levied by England against the entire country of Spain. Astounds me. (laughs) 
right. Like, there's no, like, if you were to introduce soccer to someone who's never seen the sport before by showing them a clip of this game, a clip of this obvious penalty, they would simply not understand the rules and would think it's okay to touch the ball with your hand in order to stop the other team. Like, it breaks soccer for someone who wouldn't understand, who doesn't understand the game. That was so eloquently put. Uh, eloquently put, excuse me. Yeah, I, I mean, this is the one chance that is by far the clearest penalty of the night. I will say Anelka's touch was fantastic. He would have rounded, um, what's it called? I think it was PK and brief and was would have been free one-on-one with Valdez. Um, had PK not touched the ball, but PK's arm clearly not in a position that is quote unquote a natural movement, whatever you want to call it. Clear infraction, um, intent almost doesn't matter in this case. Like it's just his arm is way out. Clear as penalty. Like this is what you look up in the dictionary for a handball. Funnily enough, um, I was doing some reading on this, and I don't, I, I really don't know the validity of the rule book at this time. So this is just me doing reading, but apparently at the time there was no official like ball to hand rule in the rule book. So technically like the rule book might say that it was the right call, but it obviously this is the one call that should have been a handball. Like obviously I'm saying it was a handball hundred percent should have been called, but I just wanted to throw that out there as something funny. Don't, Go all crazy on me. I'm just throwing it out there. I'd also like to, what PK said after the game in his interview, to be fair, it touched my hands. The referee can decide what he wants, and you have to respect the decisions. Sometimes they are wrong. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think well, that makes me feel better. Get more clear. <laughs> that makes me feel a lot better. Wow. Thanks. <laughs> I, I think it's you, interesting that this Gerald. is. So- this is the one, like, whatever penalty shout that pretty much every person, referee, fan, player aside, can agree that was 100% a penalty. Out of all of them, I think this is the one that everyone can agree on, um, which I'll bring up later. But that, to me, was, was interesting, how, how clear-cut it was. Um, it just goes to show how bad of a game the referee had. Um, but I think there was, Rian, there was one more. One more thing that happened. Yeah. And I mean, before I get to that, I mean, God, at least Suarez got sent off, dude. At least got, <laughs> at least got a, had a chance to still win that game, dude. Like, fuck off with this. But anyway, um, <laughs> let's yeah, see next in the notes. Next here, uh, 84th minute. I, I just, to re- reiterate again, uh, Chelsea way too direct in their passing. And I put in all caps, you have a man advantage. And all of this leads to my next notes here. 92nd minute. Um, Notes don't start with clear the fucking ball. Then (laughs) I have some edits to make. (laughs) My notes start start here with thank fuck I'm drunk. Because I started drinking (laughs) I started drinking about like 30 minutes into this, actually less than that probably like 15 minutes into this game. Um, And I was a little tips, a little past tipsy at this point. But Thank goodness I was drunk. Um, and as I texted to Noah and Elias, I actually, I actually got was like almost sick after 
this uh, moment where ball's played into the box um, by Barca. I think it's Terry that tries to that tries to clear it. Doesn't quite get it cleared. Essien then tries to clear it and Whiffs. scuffs it. Yeah, it's just scu- yeah, yeah. He just scuffs it. Just doesn't get con- get enough contact on the ball. Um, falls to Messi, who then finds Andres Iniesta, who up until this point had scored four goals all season and zero in the Champions League, uh, and he picks up the ball just just around like the D outside the the uh, penalty area, and just I mean the contact was was just crazy too because it seemed like he almost toe pokes it, um, and. And the ball, there's like, from the second that it, maybe the second that it touches um, Iniesta's foot for the pass to when the ball hits the net. Actually, no. From the second that the ball leaves Iniesta's foot and it hits the back of the net is like the slowest half second ever. It just is, yeah. It's, it's... Because it doesn't even necessarily look like it's going that quick, right? I don't know if you guys um, thought the same, but the ball doesn't actually look like it's going that fast when he hits it. It just kind of glides into the into the top right corner and just out of Petrček's um, reach. And and um, also, like I said to to, to you guys uh, in in text over text, um, GG to NES. Like I mean, it's a, it's an unbelievably great hit, um, and that that's a goal that. Absolutely deserves from the hit from the from the actual shot. Absolutely deserved. And funny enough, I mean, the two goals scored in this game were both from outside the box. And even funnier, this is the first and only shot on target for Barcelona for the entire game. Yep, that was. I think that that sums up the game pretty well in terms of just how it went overall. That being the one shot on goal and eight shots off target. I think they had. Uh, yeah, this was an amazing hit. Um, an amazing memory for all Barcelona fans, but it was not a good game. Like we play that clip back as like, oh, remember when this happened? But everything the ninety-two minutes before that were not amazing. Like really not for a team that had come very, very far that season. So it was a miracle, quite frankly, that it, it got pulled out the way it did. Kind of like how after if someone listens to an Kelly song, they should be after and before they should be forced to say. R. Kelly is a sexual predator who attacks children. I feel like Barcelona fans, if they watch this clip, should be forced to watch all of the penalty shouts from this game, both before and afterward, as sort of a reminder that, holy shit, you deserve nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not that season, because we won the Champions League, maybe, and we won the first treble. But but just in, in light of the whole game, in the spirit of conversation... What's the last thing, Rian? What's the last thing you wanted to talk about? Last, last notes here from my from the my recap. Ninety fifth minute, just LOL. That's actually all I wrote. That's actually the only thing that I wrote was LOL. Um, it's <laughs> Are those your drunk uh, notes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything past like the fifteen minute would actually let's say everything past like the twenty second minute was like drunk notes for sure. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a LOL. It's, it, I don't remember if this started with a free kick or if it started with a penalty. Or sorry, not penalty. Sorry, or it started with the corner. I think with the corner, um, yeah, Chelsea corner. 
Um, ball gets cleared. Yeah, ball gets cleared, falls to Michael Ballack, who hits it on on a volley. It might have been half volley or something like that. And and a unbelievably great defensive block is made. Oh wait, sorry. No, it looked like he actually used his elbow this time. Eto Samuel Eto throws his arms up. This one, unlike the PK handball, I actually think this one's far more deliberate than the PK one. I, I, I think the PK one's more obvious, but I think this one's more deliberate in the sense that I think Eto actually is just putting his hands up to make himself bigger. And, 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 and he does. He does a great job at it. He may as well have been faced with like a giant a black bear. Or maybe it's a brown bear is the one that's actually more dangerous. But Eto, a Cameroonian man who obviously didn't see many bears in his life, just, <laughs> only, just did what he saw on the internet and threw both arms up at the German bear himself, Michael Ballack, who hits it into his elbow. And as you could have guessed, zero, zero reaction from the referee, basically. Uh, ball goes way out. It's, it hits, it's hit him so hard, it goes almost to the halfway line. Right. And and as the referee is running back, this iconic image of Michael Ballack running at the exact speed as the referee is running back, <laughs> hands up, yelling at him for about what, what seems like 20 yards or something. It's actually amazing. Uh, you know, it's one of the things what makes um, what makes you love Michael Ballack as a player in general. But um yeah honestly uh, like i said my notes were just lol because what a fucking joke this last one was the last one is just actually a kick to the dick it's it's not even needed at that point it's just he just kicks you the referee the situation has just kicked you in the dick an absolute punch to the balls is, is the last um missed penalty again if i'd never seen a game of soccer before and watched this clip I'd be wondering why one of the goalies wasn't wearing a different shirt. <laughs> All right. I will say um, there were two opportunities I thought could have been penalties. One was the PK one. This, for me, was the second one. In certain circumstances, there's nothing wrong with a shot from basically point-blank range, right, hitting a defender's arm. But, Rian, I think you hit the nail on the head. The fact that Eto threw his left arm over his head, even if it was deliberate to block the ball from going on the goal compared to protecting his head, I guess. Um, like, he could make the argument he was trying to protect his face, but it still would have been a penalty because of the fact that he threw his arm up in a pretty much deliberate fashion to try and block the ball from going in the direction of the goal. That's a penalty. That's no doubt. And the fact that I think the referee was in such a clear position to see it and didn't make the call, I think that's what what made the kick to to Balak especially particularly hurt. And um, I see why I see why Chelsea fans are hard hard done by by that opportunity too, especially after the goal went in. So I'll say that that's the fair. Immortal word of Fidesz, a fucking disgrace. <laughs> All right, well. I mean, I do one more one more thing on that particular thing. It, it actually kind of reminded me. I was just about as angry at this as I was at uh, what was it last year? Manchester United and PSG second leg, where 
Similar in this, I'm actually not sure if Bollock's shot would have been on target at all, really. I, honestly, the trajectory probably wasn't going to be on target. But in the same sense, where in the United game against PSG last year, uh, I don't remember who actually hit the shot, but I think it was like Rashford or somebody who hits it in Kimpembe's in the box, but Kimpembe jumps like like four feet and the ball. Whereas it would have gone 20 yards offside, it actually ended up 20 yards off target, the shot ends up going 40 yards off target and ends up being called a penalty because of VAR. So I think I was as angry at this non-call as I was on the call, on the VAR call from uh, against PSG, um, against United. Oh, that's another level. I respect it. <laughs> I didn't expect that to come from you, honestly. I'm not going to lie. But yes, this, this was a botched call as well. Absolutely the wrong decision. This and the PK one for me specifically but we've been talking for a while so i guess we can kind of wrap up because that's right after that is when the whistle was blown and uh barcelona went barcelona went through to the champions league final and and went on to beat manchester united 2-0 so thoughts lads on the on the whole game right overall i'm sure you obviously feel hard done by but closing thoughts on the game you know was it a robbery who deserved to go through what are your thoughts yes chelsea (laughs) any other Um, questions (laughs) well you i mean you did say earlier i will say this right when i when i pointed out the eto offsides in the uh the first leg that it it wasn't a clear goal in the same way that the penalties penalty shouts in the second leg were not um clear goals but i guess you could make the argument that one of them so if your if your argument here is that barcelona should have gone through because victor valdez would have saved every all of the no, that, trust four me, that's to not. two penalties. <laughs> that is give, not Eto, give Eto that goal, give Chelsea the two goals in that game, and Chelsea go through. <laughs> that is not my argument, but I'm just trying to use what you were saying earlier in the same vein. But I'm not, it's not my argument. Um, every, 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 <laughs> if every decision was made correctly, if the Eto offsides was given, and if the two penalties were given, that adds up to 3-2. Agreed. Agreed. Brian, close Thank you thoughts. for agreeing with my math. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think for me, um, just a couple things. On the robbery thing, I... I almost hesitate to say full robbery because I think that... Peculiar, let's put it that way. I don't know about robbery, but because obviously, like the ref said, anyone could have a bad day. Um, but you know, you would lean to the robbery side because at least most days, when you have, you can take getting one penalty decision wrong. You could take even two, maybe. But we have four that really fell on the well, three. Three in particular that I think were more than a 50-50 call. One that that was a 50-50 call uh, with being the first potential incident. But, you know, you, you'd expect most times that, that oh, he'll at least get one of these right. <laughs> but he didn't. <laughs> he just didn't get any of them right. Um, so, well, your so, definition of right, I think, is a little fact-based as opposed to bank balance-based. Oh my god! <laughs> well, for his 
new speedboat and vacation in the Bahamas. But in terms of <laughs> being fair and balanced, she checked the Fox News box. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think I think that's that's a tough one to that's a tough pill to swallow for Chelsea fans. Is that you know you get four incidents and none of them called. When most days you might get lucky and get one, right? Um, and then another thing is, um, you know, I, I in terms of who deserved to go through, like, like I said, the the narrative of each game got flipped from what it was in the first. So you know. I think Barca could have won the first game and, and that changes everything in terms of um, how both teams set up for the second, for the second leg. And, and then in this game, you have the missed calls and Chelsea should have won it. Right. So tell me who deserved to go through. I mean, I don't know. It's on, I honestly, it's not even relevant anymore now, <laughs> but, but, but <laughs> I, I'm just like, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter the the principle of, of the missed calls and the and and the overarching thing of Chelsea should have finished this game off anyway before the 92nd minute with the chances that Drogba had um makes it almost irrelevant to me now in terms of who deserved to go through and whether that actually whether that was the real I mean it just that that's irrelevant to me right now and uh, my last thing is that this really like as you'd expect because it's the first season for for Guardiola this this team as great as the talent was up front, the 2011 team or 2010-2011 team that ends up beating Manchester United in the second Champions League final, I think is a class above this one. And I mean, and the real difference is here is that this one you have Messi, Eto, and Henri, and and Messi hasn't fully taken over as the, being the guy on the team, and and um, whereas he does in in 2011, but um, just like a couple stats on those 20, 2009 and 2011 teams that all competitions in 2009, Barcelona got a hundred goals from Messi, Eto'o and Henri with Messi having 38, 36 for Eto'o and 26 for Henri. I mean, the goal scoring of this, the goal scoring um, talent for this team was unbelievable. And, and it was better than the 2011 team, even though <clears throat> in general, you know, the, the 2011 team was just much better defensively. Um, they scored 95 goals. As a team, they scored 95 goals in La Liga, where as 2009 scored 105. And they got 98 goals from Messi, David Villa, and uh, Pedro in 2011. But the big, big difference being that Messi had 53 of those. So, um, <laughs> and, and also, you know, it, it isn't until 2010-2011 that we see Messi playing as a center forward and the false nine um, full-time for Barcelona, whereas in this season, he's playing on the right wing with Eto in the middle and Henri on the left. So, um, yeah, that's just the big thing. I said that this overarching is that the this team wasn't was great and and they won the trouble, um, but they did not play well in this game. And uh, it's funny to see that they actually get much better in two years when you don't think that there's that much room. Yeah, no, the, I I understand agree with you. The 2011 team a class above pretty much everyone else. And for me, it was, is the best team of all time. Um, the, uh, I, I guess going back to the game specifically, like my, my closing thoughts, like overall, like, yes, the referee had a bad game and probably blew this game quite frankly. Um, but I don't think that is so different from other games that have been blown. Like, I don't think this was a robbery, right? Like people and referees miss penalty calls sometimes 
And for me personally, I only think they were one one to two penalty shots in this entire game. And there was also a penalty shot for Barcelona in the previous game that was missed. So it, it is an and a red card that was unjustifiably given at the wrong time, right? So like there are things that happen throughout both legs that are important for context, which is why I don't think it was a robbery. Um, I don't think it was as bad as Chelsea fans like to, to think. Um, but it, I do think, Noah, to your point, like it was bad enough to cost Chelsea a trip to the Champions League final. I, I do concede that. Um, but I, I don't think like it was like, oh, four missed penalties, like missed penalty shouts, like whatever. I, I don't think it was that bad. Um, so at the end of the day, it's, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. But those are, I guess, my closing thoughts. And of course, um, this kind of started off the the Barcelona era of of success in in the early 2010s. So, yeah. And, and, and best, any, yeah. Uh, any thoughts on which game we should do next? And it rhymes with it rhymes with it's taken short. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I it's taken quickly. It's taken quickly. I think it's taken quick. Yeah. Um, you know what? Fine. We can do that next. Fine. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm no, down I, to go I think, rant. No, no. I think, I think, um, I think just to end it off, the beautiful thing about um, maybe sports in general and karma in general is that everything comes full circle, dude. Um, this was the beginning of that imperious Barcelona, Pep Guardiola era team, and it ended just as heartbreakingly in 2012 with with another Champions League semifinal that um, involved Chelsea and, and Barcelona. So looking back now, man, karma karma comes back in its, in its own weird ways, but I think full circle, definitely full circle between this a, a pretty fantastic era, I think, for both teams, really, um, who, were, who were genuinely one of, like, the four – always one of the top four teams pretty much in Europe during this period. So yeah. interesting history between the two teams. And, and it's a, it's a fun era to look back on now um, without any of the raw emotions of being in the moment. For sure. No, this, these teams have such incredible history playing each other. And honestly, I hope in the future, you know, the three of us and Peter as well, and anyone else that wants to join can, can watch them play each other again in the not the Europa League, God forbid, in the Champions League specifically. Um, but yeah, that kind of I guess wraps things up. Anything else you guys want to add before we we close out here? Just you know, Valverde, Dembele, and Rakitic. See you guys. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're not invited back again. But <laughs> yeah, uh, nothing, nothing for me. Um, I believe our next episode though will be doing the 2013 Champions League semifinal involving the other team, other big team in Spain with uh, Real Madrid and Borussia Dortmund. I think we'll be doing the first leg of that one. Yes, the very famous Lewandowski game. But, um, the game that put Lewandowski we'll on the map. But Yeah, yeah, seriously. We'll be uh, hopefully back with that episode later in the week. But until then, everyone, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we will talk to you guys soon. Wash your fucking hands. It's a fucking disgrace.